I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. It is good to be with you today. I'm Mike Winger, and we're going to talk right now about uh, an Orthodox Jew and a Catholic bishop who had a conversation about um, the future destiny of the Orthodox Jew. Let me explain what happened. Um, It was actually Ben Shapiro, who most of you are probably familiar with. Certainly more people know him than know me, or Robert Barron for that matter. Um, More people know him. But uh, Ben Shapiro, you know, he's a commentator, a conservative commentator and activist. You can check him out on thedailywire.com. And he's also an Orthodox Jew. A lot of people don't realize this, but uh, Ben Shapiro is very strong in his Jewish beliefs. He's very, very serious about his Jewish religion. And he had a conversation, an interview with Bishop Robert Barron recently, and he's the auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He's written many books. He's like a religious religion correspondent for NBC. And he's, you know, he's well known. He's got his whole YouTube channel with lots of subs and he's got over a million followers on Facebook. And he sort of is to some people, uh, one of the faces of the Catholic church. And so a question was asked by Ben Shapiro of this particular gentleman. And the question was, Hey, um, am I, am I going to heaven from a Catholic perspective? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the question that Ben asked. We're going to look at the, uh, the answer that Bishop Barron gave Um, And then we're going to, step three, we're going to look at the biblical answer, which I think Ben would want to hear because Ben, um, uh, he's very much like, I'm with Ben on this. Like, he's like, hey, you can just tell me what you think. I'm interested to hear it. I'm not, you know, just going to jump down your throat. He's not looking to respond emotionally to these things. Uh, Rather, he actually is honestly asking uh, what what is the perspective that, say, the Catholic has. I'm going to try to answer the perspective that the biblical Christian may have that the Bible gives. I'm not going to give my answer here. My goal is to answer what scripture actually says on this topic. I think it's really, really important. So here's my disclaimer real quick. This is not an attack on Catholicism. Okay. This is not an attack on Catholicism or any person for that matter. Actually, I'm not attacking atheists. I'm not attacking Ben Shapiro. Uh, No, this is about truth and it's about thinking biblically and it's about finding true answers to serious questions of life without being so scared of offending people that we can't even talk about truth anymore because we're we're worried that someone will get mad and that sort of thing. Uh, Because as Christians, this is a biblical issue about the gospel and we live and die on this hill. We live and die on this hill of the gospel of Jesus Christ and whether or not we have this truth right. It will it will be about our souls. And so um, we're going to go to the video real quick. I'll just play a quick clip from this. Here is the question that Ben asked for uh, Bishop Barron so you can listen in and think, you know, uh, how would you answer? But let's think, what specifically is he asking? Because we're going to try and answer this question ourselves as well. Oh, and by the way, if you have your questions, if you have questions for me today, put them in the comments on the live stream. And um, my buddy AJ, he's going to try to compile those questions, especially the ones that are on topic. And he's going to send those to me at the end of the stream. And I will answer your questions as is my custom here on the Tuesday live stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Here's the question. So let me ask you, what's the Catholic view on who gets into heaven and who doesn't? I feel like I lead a pretty good life, a very religiously based life in which I try to keep not just the Ten Commandments, but a solid 603 other commandments as well. And I spend an awful lot of my time promulgating what I would consider to be Judeo-Christian virtues, particularly in Western societies. So what's the Catholic view of me? Am I basically screwed here? 
Okay, so Ben's question is not about, what about people who've never heard the gospel? This is not Ben's question, okay? <laughs> Why do I stress this so strongly? I know that as I start to answer these questions and deal with this stuff today, that very quickly, um, the topic can move over to a different issue, which is a complicated it's not super complicated. It's a little bit complicated, but um, but I've already dealt with this issue in great detail. I put a link in the video description to how I would answer the question biblically of what about those who've never heard, live their entire lives and never hear about Jesus, right? I answer that biblically. I use lots of scripture to support my, my, my case on all that. That's not Ben's question. Ben's question is, hey, what about me? What about me? Ben says, how am I going to fare on this whole eternal life thing? Um, the phrase go to heaven, you know, go to hell phrase, that, that terminology is really sloppy as far as with God's e eternal plan for recreated heaven and earth and, and all that sort of thing. But the uh, that's the idea. And, and what does he say? He kind of builds a case, Ben builds a case for why he thinks he, he should be okay. He says, I live a good life. I follow the law and I do good things in the world. So he follows the 613 commands, right, from the Torah. And he... Um, he's very strong Orthodox Jew, very religious. And, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. Some people use that word like it's an insult. I do not do that. Um, so he says, I do good things in the world. So Ben kind of sees this as like a merit system. And he's feels like I'm accomplishing those things. I'm doing my part. And as far as on the scales of good and evil, I'm more on the good than on the evil. So that's his perspective on those things. Listen now to how uh, Bishop Barron answers the question. Because here he has a, a, an Orthodox Jew who does not believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe in the divinity of Christ. He doesn't believe, it's, it, to my understanding, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident of this. He does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm operating with that belief here as I move forward. Um, and so uh, here's how Baron, uh, Bishop Barron answers the question. Listen for specifically what he tells Ben, a, a, a Jewish man who thinks his good works are, do, are doing good for him. He feels like he's obeying the Torah and doing good in the world. He thinks that should kind of earn my way. Um Listen to how he answers Ben. How will you fare when you stand before God, so to speak? And uh, listen to what he says about the conscience, because he's going to say a couple things. But one, what he says about the conscience and what the conscience does and what you can do with your conscience to be saved is really interesting. I don't think it's biblical, but I want you to understand where he's coming from. Here we go. So what's the Catholic view of me? Am I basically screwed here? No. The Catholic view, go back to uh, the Second Vatican Council, says it very clearly. I mean, Christ is the privileged route to salvation. I mean, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that we might find eternal life. So that's the, the privileged route. However, Vatican II clearly teaches that someone outside the explicit Christian faith can be saved. Now, they're saved through the grace of Christ, indirectly received. So, I mean, the grace is coming from Christ, but it might be received according to your uh, conscience. So if you're following your conscience sincerely, or in your case, you're following the commandments of the law sincerely, yeah, you can be saved. Yes, you can be saved. And he gives specific, and, and now listen, Bishop Barron is an, a very intelligent man who has thought through these, isu these issues a lot. And he has prepared himself for answering these questions. So I take him at his word that he uses his words intentfully and thoughtfully and carefully. So it's not like he didn't really mean that. So if, if you're interested in thinking that, if that's your direction, oh, he didn't mean what he said. Um, I think you're mistaken. I think this guy's too smart to not mean what he says in this particular scenario, obviously even smart people sometimes say things they don't mean. I did that in a recent video. I had to like put a comment down below. I was like, whoa, that, I didn't really mean it quite the way it sounded. You know, that does happen to people. It happens to me for sure. But I don't think that's what's happened here. So what he says to Ben when Ben says, hey, am I, am I out of luck? Um, he tells Ben 
quite simply, his one word answer was no, you're not quote screwed, you know, been no, that's the answer. No. And then he defines something he calls the privileged route that Jesus faith in Jesus is the privileged route. And then he offers, that means there's multiple ways, right? There's another way of, of salvation. He'll still give Jesus credit for that other way of salvation, but he's going to offer really in a sense, one major other route to be saved without faith, without knowing Jesus. I'll put it that way. And that is, in a word, conscience. Conscience. Now, let me quote him to you, word for word. He says, in your case, talking to Ben, you're following the commandments of the law sincerely. Yeah, you can be saved. How? By knowing about Jesus, but rejecting him and following the commandments of the law sincerely. So therefore he can be saved. There we go. That's, that's the brief answer. I'll get into a little bit more detail of these things, and then we'll go through a biblical case on this topic. But um, the question I would have for uh, Bishop Barron would be, do I need to evangelize Ben? I mean, as a Christian who knows and follows Jesus Christ, who believes the word of God and believes that, that the entire Jewish scriptures, are, the Jewish scriptures involve Old and New Testaments, um, do I have to evangelize Ben? Because it sounds like I don't. It sounds like it's completely unnecessary to, to go and preach the gospel to Ben um, or any Jew for that matter, if they're just being a good Jew, they're, they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're being very religious. They're very strict in their Jewishness. Why should I even bother evangelizing them? There's no, there's no need unless it's just because it's a nice thing to do because it's like, it's a positive behavior, but it's not that it's going to benefit them with salvation versus not having salvation. That's the implication of what he says. Now that's not actually, I don't know that that's actually Catholic doctrine. Um, he in, invokes Vatican II so I went and looked up Vatican II. I've looked up this before, but the passage I think he's quoting from is from Lumen Gentium, uh, chapter 16. So we're going to read through Vatican II because he says, according to Bishop Barron, Vatican II is very clear, very clear. He says it twice, he uses the phrase very clear, that you can clearly see that um, that what he's about to espouse comes from Vatican II, that Ben can be saved knowing about Jesus, but not following him, having rejected him but being a good Jew who follows the law versus also a non-Jewish person can be saved if they just follow their conscience, yet they don't have necessarily knowledge of Christ or have not accepted Christ. Um, do they know about him or not? He doesn't, he doesn't answer that question. So let's read Vatican II. We'll read this section in, in mind here. Um, and you tell me how clear is Vatican II, because I'll tell you right now, Vatican II, unlike the Council of Trent, this is one of the ecumenical councils of the church, one of a handful, there's not too many, this is binding truths that the whole church has to accept. It's not optional, right? This is this is considered authoritative teaching of the church. It's one of those rare moments where they say this is how it is, uh, take it or leave it, so to speak. But Vatican II, this 1956 council, or 1965 council, excuse me, is when they finished it in December. Um, this council uh, is very different than earlier councils of the church where they were very sort of clear, black and white on issues. They get kind of muddy here, but let's just read through it. It says, finally, those who have not yet received the gospel are related in various ways to the people of God. Um, in the first place, we must recall the people to whom the testament and the promises were given and from whom Christ was born according to the flesh. On account of their fathers, this people remains most dear to God, for God does not repent of the gifts he makes, nor of uh, the calls he issues. Okay, so we, hey, we're drawing our attention to the Jewish people. They don't use the word Jewish or Israel here, but the Jewish people are clearly in mind in this passage, but it hasn't said anything about them except that God doesn't repent of his gifts. Well, I mean, that's my theology, uh, that God has a plan for Israel. I have some videos about 
God's plan for Israel and stuff like that in my playlists on YouTube. Um, and I think there's this glorious, beautiful plan for the future of Israel and I'm excited for it, um, for when it takes place. But, but that's not what they're saying here. They just don't say anything. They just say, let's think about them. Okay. But what do they say? Well, let's keep reading. But the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the creator in the first place among these are the Muslims who professing to hold the faith of Abraham along with us, adore the one and merciful God who on the last day will judge mankind. Okay. So, you know, they actually say this Vatican II actually says more about Muslims than it does about Jews. It says that Jews worship the one true God, or excuse me, it says Muslims worship the one true God. It just says that, that, that Jewish people have, um, God's doesn't repent of the gifts that he's given them. Um, so it doesn't really say anything about their future or anything like that or, but, it, but for the Muslims, they worship the one true God. I would disagree. I think that they, if you deny the son, you deny the father too. So I, I think they've denied the father um, by their doctrines of denying the son. But, uh, but I'm just trying to be biblical and clear here. I'm not, this, this, if, if people hear me and they think this is an insulting thing, I would just say, you're not able, you're not thinking clearly about it. You're just thinking emotionally. And um, that's a way for you to get trapped into false thinking is to just think purely emotionally. I'm, we're not robots. We have emotions, but we can't, we can't process facts always with our feelings. I think, I think Ben Shapiro would agree with me on that. Um, so there's the Muslims and then it goes on and it says, uh, nor is God far distant from those who in shadows and in images seek the unknown God for it is he who calls all gives all gives to all men life and breath and all things. And as savior wills that all men be saved, those also can attain to salvation who through now, this is where it gets important, how they can attain salvation. They can attain to salvation who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, yet sincerely seek God and moved by grace, strive by their deeds to do his will. And it is known to them through the dictates of conscience as it is known. Um, so there he's saying, yeah, the, the Vatican II says uh, Jewish people, Muslims, and then it mentions uh, those who simply have never heard uh any anything of the gospel and so then it's just like they can be saved if they do what they sincerely seek god I, I, how are you sincerely seeking okay i'll come back to this sincerity is not the key here guys sincerity is not the key because you can be sincerely wrong that's what deception is people who are deceived are sincere it's the nature of deception but here you have to be sincere and then you have to do good deeds so Catholicism has a, a gospel of some grace mixed with works. And that's what this is, except here it's, it's about, uh, without, without knowledge of Jesus. Um, then it goes on, nor does divine providence deny the helps necessary for salvation to those who without blame on their part have not yet arrived at an explicit knowledge of God and with his grace to, to strive to live a good life. Those are atheists, by the way. Um, uh, a certain kind of atheist. Vatican II lists a bunch of different types of atheists and some are in trouble and some are in less trouble. Here it's the one who's sort of just ignorant. They're not, they haven't really weighed things out and thought them out carefully. Uh, that's my understanding of Vatican II. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think it is. Um, whatever good or truth is found amongst them is looked upon by the church as preparation for the gospel. She knows that it is given by him who enlightens all men so that they may finally have life. But often men deceived by the evil one have become vain in their reasonings and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, serving the creature rather than the creator. Okay, so Vatican II is not clear. That's the bottom line there. It doesn't specifically address Ben Shapiro's question. He's asking as a Jew who rejects Jesus, what am I? Um, but he's going to use Baron. Now, I don't care, guys. If Vatican II says everyone saved and, and even, you know, 
like, and all puppy dogs go to heaven, that's fine by me. Because I'm not bound to Vatican II. I'm just trying to analyze Bishop Barron's statements. You see, within the Catholic Church, there's debates about what Vatican II even means. And there's different branches of thought. And Bishop Barron seems like he's more on the liberal side, the progressive side when it comes to religious thinking, than he is on the conservative side. And that's the swing that the Catholic Church has been making over the past, like, maybe, from my understanding, maybe uh, 80 years or so. It's just been swinging over to more and more that um, that that uh, progressive side of things, religiously speaking. So um, that's where he says Vatican II is clear. I, I don't know that it is. But he says that an atheist of goodwill can be saved. He doesn't specify. Vatican II is actually a little more clear when you read that and some other passages. Um, then he goes on, though. And Bishop Barron says this about the conscience. And this, I think, is really important to understand. This is his theology of the conscience. It's different than the Bible. Um, he says that the, that the conscience is the voice of Christ. He says something, a quote from some guy. It's like the aboriginal voice of Christ, something like that. But, but I wrote down the quote. He says, the conscience is the voice of Christ. And then he goes on in the next sentence to say, when I'm following my conscience, I'm following him whether I know it or not. So to him... If a person's living a good life, then they're, then they're following Jesus without knowing it. That's not what the scripture talks about. It's not the function of the conscience according to the Bible. And it's not what we learn from our conscience according to scripture. In fact, it's so different from the Bible that I would say that it's, it's an unchristian teaching. And it actually violates what I actually read in the New Testament when I go there. So here we go. Let's dig into the scriptures. This is not how I would answer the question so much as what I think the Bible is saying when we ask the scripture these issues. Because by Barron's definition, by Bishop Barron's definition, Paul himself was saved before he ever met Jesus. Because was he not sincere? Well, let's, let's take a look. Paul the Apostle was incredibly sincere. Listen to him. He says, my manner of life from my youth, he says, I spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is all known by, or is known by all the Jews. Everybody knows the way I lived. And then he describes it. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He, like, almost like Beno, he says, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm, like, very strict in these things. You know, Paul was even more strict than Ben is on these topics. And it says, you know, I, I was really strict. The strictest sect of the Pharisees. And now I stand, verse 6, here on trial because of my hope and the promise made to, uh, by God to our fathers. And so he, he, he never abandoned his Judaism. He, he, he rather saw Christianity, which is like saying messianic, he believed in Messiah, as the fulfillment of this, of this Judaism. But Paul describes his previous life before Christ as a strict Jewish life where he was very careful to obey the law, the 613 plus more. Now, in Philippians uh, chapter 3, he gets into more details. Listen to what Paul says, because Bishop Barron would have, would have counseled Paul, possibly, that he doesn't need to worry about this whole Jesus thing. Um, that he's saved because he's following his conscience and he's sincere. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised, and he starts to give a list, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, that wasn't because he was mad. It's because he had zeal, love for his Jewish beliefs. So then he persecuted the church. He was totally sincere in those things. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
He says, I was blameless according to the righteousness under the law. Now, this, this, is, this is Paul the Apostle who believed he wasn't saved until he came to know Christ. And listen to how he describes how all that stuff doesn't count. It didn't get him salvation. It didn't give him righteousness. It counts for nothing. Listen to what he calls it in verse 7. He goes, whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can I say it this way? The surpassing worth of knowing Messiah, Yeshua, my Lord. The, he'd found the Messiah, the fulfillment, and he, he was rejoicing in that. He says, for, the, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Messiah and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's what Ben was saying. I, I, I follow the law. I feel like I'm a good person. Paul says, no, no, I don't have a righteousness from the law. No, 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 no. I have that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, me obeying the law is a righteousness that's supposed to come from me, but I'm not righteous. Me trusting in Christ is the righteousness of God that comes from God upon my life. So, which do you prefer? <laughs> you know, certainly. Um, he goes on, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Because to, to Paul, there is no other way to, to be resurrected, to receive the... Now, the Jewish hope is the resurrection. It's not, not just this ethereal heaven idea. That's like a temporary location, right? But there's this ultimate restoration, resurrection, and restoral of all things. That's the Jewish hope. That's the Christian hope. And Paul says, I found that in Christ. And that, that would be, I think Paul's answer would be to say to, uh, to Ben, hey, this is, this, you, Ben, you're going about it wrong. You're, you're looking for righteousness by your goodness, your works. That's just, that's just the, the wrong method of what it means to, uh, to be forgiven and be saved. So um, what would Jesus say? Well, in, in John chapter 3, See, the Bible's filled with information answering this question. I don't need to go to Vatican II. I don't have to go to Vatican I. I don't need a third Vatican council. I don't, go, I don't need Trent. Like, I could just go right to the scriptures. Jesus actually met a Pharisee in John chapter 3. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why didn't he say, Nicodemus, I can see that you're sincere. I can see that you really are seeking to follow the law. Don't worry, you'll be fine. My grace will cover you. You're, you're worshiping me without even knowing it. Don't worry about it, Nicodemus. Instead, he tells Nicodemus that uh, with all his Pharisaical rules, which, by the way, we think of Pharisees as bad guys sometimes. Not necessarily the case. They were strict guys is what they were. They were very strict some of them had issues. Some of them, like Nicodemus, ends up being a follower of Jesus at a later date. Um, and so Jesus tells him that with all your strict rules, it's not enough. You need to be born again. You need a whole new life transformation to take place. And Nic Nicodemus says to him in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Well, you know, Jesus then explains what he means, right? That this, this spiritual birth. Verse 6, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he's speaking of a spiritual birth that has to happen. Um, and, uh, then in Matthew chapter five, verse 20, Christ also speaks on the same topic. So, so wouldn't that be how Christ would answer Ben? Would he say, Ben, you've got to be born again. You, you need to be born again, Ben. Matthew five twenty. for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Well, the Pharisees and the scribes had extremely high standards, extremely high standards. But they weren't righteous enough and it needed to be even higher still. So Jesus is saying, it's not enough. Your righteousness is not enough. It's not good enough. Here in uh, Luke 18, Jesus has another situation where someone perhaps kind of like Ben comes to him and there's rich young ruler and um, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So these are two things Jesus says. First, he's like, why do you call me good? He's already bringing into question the rule, this rich person, this ruler, his standard of what is good and what is evil. His standard was based upon comparing humans to humans instead of comparing humans to God. So Jesus is saying, hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus himself, he's not saying he's not good. He actually is good he's, and he's God. So he's, he's good and he's God. But the, the question isn't, is Jesus good? The question is, is this ruler's understanding of goodness? Is that proper? Is it right? Um, when someone says, how are you doing? You go, I'm good. Or he's good at that job. Or he seems like a good person. Well, he may be good for a person, but he's not good compared to God and his righteousness. So Jesus says to him, like, you know, the commandments. And then verse 21, he says, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So then Jesus highlights an issue. He brings up a topic. Christ knows the heart of this man. And he says, hey, sell all that you have and come follow me. And the man realizes that he has a bondage to his wealth, a bondage to his finances. Now, not every Christian has to sell all that they have. No, but this was a specific command from Jesus to this guy to bring out a specific issue, his love of money. You see, maybe you've got some of the commandments down. Maybe you've got some of the goodness that you feel you've got settled. But there's areas where you know you're a sinner and you know you fail and you still fail and you'll fail tomorrow. And if someone was to ask you that one question you're afraid they'll ask about your secret life here or your real issues of your heart there, then it would reveal, it would reveal that something's wrong. And that's what happens with this, this ruler. Um, so he's sad and he leaves. Then in verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, how difficult is it, it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it then said, then who can be saved? Like Jesus said, how can anybody be saved if it's that hard? And Jesus, see, he's trying to show you how hard it is to be saved through goodness, through your goodness, so that you will then realize, verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The thing is, as much as I strive to do good things to get to heaven, is that I have that good person test in the back of my head. I always fail it once I realize that I'm, my goodness is compared to God's goodness, not compared to like my neighbor or my buddy over here or my sibling. It's compared to God's goodness. So I fall short and I need God's grace. I need a different path of salvation than my righteousness. I need God's righteousness given to me. This is, this is Christianity 101. This is Christianity 101 stuff, right? Now, Bishop Barron said to, um, to Ben that because he'd followed the law, he was going to be okay. He follows the law. In, in the case of a, a Gentile, it might be following their conscience, but Ben follows the law and he's sincere. And those two ingredients can equal salvation for Ben that maybe then the implication is he'll be saved. He didn't guarantee it, but he implied it, right? Those two ingredients, sincerity and following the law. We've already seen that Paul the Apostle, he had both of those things and he wasn't saved until he uh, knew Christ. We've already seen that others had those things and Christ says, yeah, you, you follow the law, but you don't, you don't really from the inside out know the, the righteousness of God. You're not good enough. That's the bottom line. 
Because the purpose of the law is not to fix people, it's to reveal our sin. Romans 3.19, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who were under the law so that, here's what, the, here's what the law is trying to accomplish, that every mouth may be stopped, our boasting is stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes, what comes through the law? Not, a, not the voice of Christ that I follow so that I might, through my good works, achieve some version of salvation with, without really knowing Jesus. Like, that's not the statement. No. Um, rather, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the idea. So that Ben should know, as he looks into the law and he sees the goodness of it and the, and the, and the meaning of it and the heart behind it, and he, he should look at his own life and say, I don't do this. You know, no matter how much I try, I don't do this. I'm better than that guy, but I'm not like that. I'm not like God. I'm not like the righteousness of Christ, um, of God. And so then in um, Galatians 2, we get this, again, more scripture on this topic for us. Christians, hey, Catholic, hey, you believe the Bible too. Your wife, if a Catholic's watching me, I'm not attacking. I'm not, I mean, maybe you feel like I am. I'm certainly not trying to. Um, can we agree this, that if the Bible disagrees with Bishop Barron, then we should go with what scripture says. And I would go a step further and say, if the Bible disagrees with Vatican II, we should go with what scripture says. Um, so here we are, Galatians 2.15. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. That's exactly what Ben you know, had asked about. And now Ben's, I don't think he'd be offended by this. He'd be like, yeah, just explain your position to me at least. At least he can understand it, you know. Um, yeah, works of the law don't justify you. Those good things you do, they don't cover up your sin. They don't deal with the, the wickedness that's inside. And you never really do all the good that you know you should do, proving that something's morally wrong with us. Um, so by the works of the law, uh, no, no one is justified, but, but by the works of the law, uh, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Yet, this is the implication of the, uh, of the, the teaching that Bishop Barron gave in his, um, in his conversation. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he went through great lengths, I think, to clarify this issue, to say, hey, look, um, you know, you've heard it was said, right? Don't commit adultery. Well, that's, that's true. Don't commit adultery. But he says, but if you lust, you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And all of a sudden it's like, oh gosh, wait. Like, it's that strict? God, you want those outer laws to be happening in the inner heart of man? The outer law of not committing adultery and, no, and not stealing, that has to happen in the inner heart of man as well? Because that's not what always happens in my heart. Yes, but that's that's why you're, you're supposed to see the law and go, yes, I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God. I can't get there through my good works. I need Jesus to be the substitute, pay the price for my sins, that I might become born again, washed clean through his blood. Um, this is this is very, very Jewish. Now, what would Paul the Apostle say if he was asked this question? Say it was him instead of instead of um, Baron, uh, Bishop Baron there. What would Paul the Apostle say? Well, in Romans 10, he talks about his love for the Jewish people and his heart's desire for them. He speaks of of his desire. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they may be saved. But, or for, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Well, did not, does not that mean that the Jews of Paul's time, 
the ones that did not know Christ, because many Jews did. Paul was a Jew who knew Christ and who knew Messiah and who followed. But there are many who didn't. And when he says they have a zeal for God, does that not mean that they're sincerely, sincerely thinking that I'm following after the God of Abraham and I'm doing his will? They believed they were. So they had sincerity. That was one of the ingredients that Bishop Barron said that Ben had and it made it okay. The other was the law, right? So I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is exactly what, what Ben has done. Ben is echoing Romans 10 here 2,000 years later because he says, you know, I feel like I'm a good person. I try to obey the law and I'm sincere. I have this real zeal. And he's saying, look, Paul's going, look, you got zeal. You got the law and you're trying to establish your own righteousness. You doing good things to get you salvation. Well, unfortunately, that's ignorant of God's righteousness. His standards are much higher than you realize, Ben. They're much higher. And I would say this to anybody. Ben or, or say the new age person who thinks that their good works are going to earn their path to heaven or the person who's, who you say you're Christian even, but you just, you think that you're a good enough person and you know, you kind of need a little bit of Jesus in your life, but you're a good person, you know, and you don't realize that you're a, you're a lost sinner apart from God and that there's sin comes from within us. That the reason why I do wicked things is because something's wrong with me. Like I wouldn't do it if there was, if it wasn't in me to do it, you know? Um, so he says, Christ is the end of the law of for righteousness to everyone who believes. Ben refers to the law for righteousness. And guess what? Bishop Barron, he implied it too. He had a version of grace plus law. Oh, God's Christ's grace will be on you, but you're sincerely following the law. And that effort will help, you know, make sure you're saved. Um, and it gets real muddy and confusing the way that he'll express it because it'll be very poetic, <laughs> very contradictory. In fact, I'm sorry, but, but Bishop Barron has actually written a whole book on the on paradoxes in the Catholic belief system and so he'll he'll speak two things that seem contradictory and and, he, and to him that totally works and in this case i'm going to say um, i think that that's a problem so romans 10 and then as we read on verse 5 he says for moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them right that's but nobody does the commandment that's the context of romans but no one's actually doing it that's the problem it, it, it is a good path of righteousness that no one follows. Um, verse six, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Uh, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that the Lord, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you know what? That's what, that's what Paul would say to Ben. Ben, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That's how our justification comes. I just trust belief. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And there's this just beautiful, amazing stuff in there. He parallels the law of Moses. The law was given and God's like, hey, don't act like I didn't tell you what to do. Well, now God has given us the gospel and he says, don't act like I didn't tell you what to believe. And um, I'll share another scripture here in Romans 4 that I think Paul might share with Ben. Um, and I, I, if, if I could talk to Ben, I'd love to share it with him. Not like he knows who I am. But Romans 4 verse 1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Was Abraham a good person? Is that how he achieved his, his standing before God? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as gift, but as due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What, what, what is this scripture from? Abraham believed God. This is not some New Testament teaching that pops out of nowhere after Jesus shows up. Rather, this is Genesis 15. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and it says that God promised Abraham that he would multiply his offspring and all this, and, and it ultimately leads to the Messiah. And ben would, I think Ben would agree that, that all of the Mosaic uh, writings, they speak of Messiah ultimately. I think that he would agree. He's rabbinic, a rabbinic Jew. Um, so Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Here we have Abraham, the father of the Jews, having an example of how he got righteous simply by faith. Before, before the law, before all that stuff was given. And so we see the New Testament is a Jewish book written by Jewish people in fulfillment of the Jewish promises of the God of the Jews in the, in, in the, in the, uh, the Torah and the Nedavim and the Kedavim, the Tanakh, right? The Old Testament, as, as we often say, and then fulfilled there as the Messiah shows up. And then he has his Jewish followers writing the New Testament for us to um, understand these things and explain them. I would encourage Ben, read the New Testament. Read it like it's a book written by Jews for Jews about the Jewish Messiah. Um, in fact, that's the downside a lot of the Gentiles like myself have is we, we, we forget how Jewish this whole thing is. And so in my teaching, like on Romans in particular, I try to highlight that and bring it out. Now, if, again, if you guys have questions, put those in the comments section. Uh, I'll come to those in a little bit here and I'll try to answer your questions, especially if they're on topic. Um, now, uh, that Romans passage mentions one example of Old Testament saved by faith. The second example is actually David. In verse 6 of Romans 4, it, it's talking about David. It says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. That's what I would tell Ben. You need righteousness apart from your works, buddy. Your good works aren't enough. You might be better than the next guy, but you're not, not as good as God. Um, and I think he knows that he's not as good as God, right? Um, so, uh, quoting from uh, Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So, this, this, this is the blessedness that I would want to come upon everybody out there. That you would turn to, turn to Christ, trust in Jesus Christ. Your good works are not good enough. His are. Believe in him. Now, why is it that I might say, um, on, a, on a related issue... Um, that in particular, there's a problem when you have a gentleman like, say, Ben Shapiro or, or someone who has, uh, while, while in a lot of ways, I, I, I like Ben, you know, and, and we have the same worldview. And so a lot of the political opinions that he shares, I can get behind many of them because it comes from a conservative Christian, Judeo-Christian ethic. Um, but I would say that there's a problem in that you've been exposed to Jesus, but you haven't received him. Because according, at least to the New Testament, here's the Christian teaching on it. Um, when a person encounters Jesus, something about their heart gets revealed. If they're one of those individuals who has really been, been trusting in the Old Testament, trusting in the scriptures, trusting in what Moses wrote, when they meet Jesus, if they're believing it the right way, when they meet Jesus, they'll accept Jesus. So John 5.45, Jesus says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Did you catch that? If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For the individual who is this sincere person who's never heard of Jesus, 
but they have believed in the revelation God's given them. They have put their faith and trust in God. They just haven't heard the gospel yet. When they hear the gospel, they will believe it. That's just like the guarantee. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is saying of these very religious Jewish people, you have all of, you have these things from Moses, but you don't get Moses. Like you don't see it and you don't see me for who I am. This is why Jesus told parables, right? He would tell a parable and this would be like the dividing line for when people would either receive Christ or reject him on these parable issues. It would reveal what was in the heart of those men all along. After you've had Moses and then Jesus shows up, Jesus shows you whether or not you've really received Moses uh, properly. And that's the New Testament uh, teaching on it. Just like Israel often in the Old Testament, they would, uh, they would say, oh, we, we believe in God, we believe in Yahweh, and we, we trust in his name, and we, we honor and worship him. And then Jeremiah would come up, and they'd be like, get out of here, Jeremiah, we hate you. And then God's basically saying, hey, Jeremiah, they say they believe me, but when they don't receive you, it shows that they haven't been receiving me. And so how much more Messiah, the Son of God, when he comes, whether we accept him or not, it shows whether or not we really are right with God in the first place. Um, man, to, to the Jewish person, I got to say, as a, as a Gentile, we're borrowing your Messiah. Christianity is not a Gentile religion. Christianity is a Jewish religion. It's Messianic Judaism that is engrafted in Gentiles, brought Gentiles into this faith because as it was always supposed to be, to be a light to the world, it brought in the world to know the Messiah. We're borrowing your Messiah. He's your Messiah. I'm, I'm grafted in and I'm grateful to be. So this is not about abandoning the Torah or abandoning living Jewish. It's about knowing the Messiah and knowing what it was all about all along. And I have some links below in the video description where I talk about some of these issues in more detail. I talk about like a Jewish gospel and how to, how to witness to, to Jewish people and things like that. And I'm in my studies in Romans. Links are all down below, as well as link to the original video that I'm, I'm, I'm commenting on here. Um, I will say this, compare my answer, and obviously I went a lot longer than he did, I'll admit it, uh, but compare my answer to Bishop Barron's and ask yourself this, which one was clear and which one was confusing? Which one was biblical and which one was not? And I think that you, you'll get your, your bottom line answers there. Um, yeah. The good person thing, that's a false gospel. And that's why we're on red alert today. Because <laughs> that's ultimately a false gospel. And false gospel is not like, uh, I'm not saying let's pick up stones and, and throw them. No, that's not really the way we do things. I'm saying we got to call things out as they are. That's not, that's not true to the actual gospel of Christ, which says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely by his grace when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And a false gospel is a problem because it's a cure that doesn't cure you. It just kills you. So, yes. I will take your guys' questions now. If you have anything to share, um, send it on over. And I'm uh, happy to answer those questions. So here we actually, here we go. Here's number one from uh, Michael Cato. Thanks, by the way, you guys for joining me today. Um, we've got almost like, almost 400 people. Looks like, yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, and it's good to, good to have you. Um, I hope that this has provided some clarity in all honesty, like the reason why I would jump on the bandwagon of, of top jumping on a topic that's obviously going to be a hot button issue, um, is because I see this as an opportunity to, to leverage what's going on with, you know, Ben Shapiro and Robert Barron and say, Hey, this is a great way to slip the gospel right in there into a, into a, a hot button topic that's going on right now, um, and trending in, in that 
That's my goal here. I want the gospel out there. And that's why I'm doing this. So Michael Cato says, question for Mike, when did inclusivism slash relativism become so prevalent in the Roman Catholic Church? Has it been in response to modern culture? Um, I can't I can't entirely answer that question, um, but inclusivism and relativism isn't exactly what Vatican II gets across, but Vatican II ends up being a little bit vague and hard to understand, and they meant it to be that way. It is meant to be a, a document that is not really clear. Um, I think that that's totally deliberate and purposeful. Read Vatican II if you like. Trent, read read it and then compare Council of Trent from the 1500s when they responded to the to the Reformation. Extremely clear, right? Very crystal clear on the topics. They, they were clear they wanted to be. Um, Vatican II, they didn't want to be clear. And I don't think they could be clear because I think at that point in the Catholic Church, amongst all the bishops gathered debating, they're not in agreement anymore. And so they have to like jostle and, and muddy the language so that they can get everyone to agree to it. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's been happening slowly over time. Um, and I'm sure someone else, someone else could answer that one probably better than I could. Um, but yeah. Um, and in a sense, Christianity is incredibly inclusive because we're like, yeah, everyone can be saved. Just put faith in Jesus. I mean, that's about as inclusive as it gets in one sense of the word. We're just saying you don't get there without Jesus. And that's the exclusive nature of Christ, of Christianity. And that's, that's the reality. That's the way it is. So we have no right to, to pretend it's otherwise. And to pretend it's otherwise is to lead people to a path that, that does not accomplish salvation. Jacob Inglet says, uh, my question for Mike is, how much of God's revelation of himself does one have to change in order for their doctrine to be considered a heretical doctrine? Example, Mormonism. Well, um, I would look at it as, um, okay, imagine you've got a circle and in the center of the circle, you have core... Uh, core doctrines. Uh, some people use a spider web example. I'll use a spider web. How's that sound? You've got the spider web and, uh, and here you go on the spider web in the middle of the web, you've got, and this isn't exactly how spider webs work, but let's pretend it is in the middle of the web. You've got core doctrines like the identity of Christ and salvation through faith in Christ, uh, by grace, apart from works center issue. You snip that the whole web falls apart on the outskirts. You have other issues like say, um, speaking in tongues or what type of church government is a biblical, is a biblical church government, or how do you handle uh, the topic of excommunication or disfellowshipping? And these things are on the outside. And if you snip them, if you get them wrong, you may damage the web somehow, but it won't ruin the whole thing. So we would look at it and say, you know, core doctrines, like, like how I'm saved, who God is core doctrines, can't get it wrong, or you lose, you lose the whole thing. And then um, important true doctrines, but yet they will not cost you your, your salvation further on the outside. Mormonism is an example where um, you go to the gospel message itself and you find it's a, it's a salvation by grace plus works. By the way, I'll, I'll throw this out there. This is this is a point that um, um, uh, uh, James White makes all the time and it's really important for us to know as well. I appreciate that he makes it. And he, he puts it something like, it's not the necessity of grace that false religions deny it is the sufficiency of grace. You see, Mormons will say you need grace. Jehovah's Witnesses will say you need grace. Catholicism says you need grace. Ben, ben Shapiro's Orthodox Judaism will also say you need grace. But they will all say that you have you have to have your works as well. You have to either cooperate with grace or whatever poetic language they want to use. You have to have grace plus works. See, grace alone is not enough for your salvation in those religious things. And I would say that's a, that's a gospel issue. That's the middle of the web right there. I am saved by grace alone, apart from works, lest any man should boast. Um, 
I once, I, I'm, a true story, I read that, I quoted that passage, Ephesians 2, to a Catholic friend of mine one time. We were debating late at night about religion and uh, in a friendly way. And I, I said, I said, but Tony, you know, it's by grace you've been saved through faith alone and, and, and not of works, right? It's, it's apart from your, uh, uh, gosh, it's so funny as you, 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 you know a verse until you uh, go to quote it. Ephesians, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And and my friend Tony looked at me, he's a strong Catholic, right? Sincere Catholic, and he says, he goes, Now, Mike, if that was in the Bible, that would be scary. And so I grabbed my Bible and I was like, Tony, look, and I showed it to him, and he says, Well, I don't think it means what you think it means, Mike. And um at that point, I think his his um uh he had a problem because I didn't tell him what it meant. Um, he knew what it meant just by hearing me quote it and said it would be scary because it would conflict his, with his teaching. Um, so, so anyways, core issues, core issues. Yeah. Um, number three, Mariano Rogers says, um, do you think Ben is too prideful in his knowledge as a Jew and political pundit to accept Jesus as Mashiach? Uh, I don't, I don't know Ben's heart. Um, I don't know. And I don't think it's wise for me to even guess at an answer to a question like that, to be honest. Um, so I'd say, I'd say Ben's wrong, and I can say that as a factual statement. But as far as and, and I can say what Paul says, he's he's ignorant of God's righteousness. He's not realizing how righteous God really is. So he's trying to establish his own righteousness instead of getting the righteousness of God that comes through faith apart from works through faith in Christ. That I can say. Barely Protestant, <laughs> interesting YouTube name, says um, Mike. If someone could die from receiving communion wrongly, doesn't that imply it's more than just a symbol? Um, I would say, I don't know that they, I don't know that if, if you've summarized that passage in, in first Corinthians properly, when you say they died from receiving communion wrongly, um, they treated, yeah, it's, it's similar to that, but, but I would say this, um, I do think communion is more than just a symbol. Uh, I agree with you. Communion is more than just a symbol. I just don't think it is transubstantiation. Whereas the actual, the, the, um, the Catholic teaching on this would be, would be to say that the body the the bread becomes the physical flesh of christ like like it literally is the physical not symbolically not metaphorically not in a spiritual sense in a literal sense it's the physical flesh of christ and the and the the wine becomes the literal blood of christ so you're you're eating the the uh, the wine and the blood and it goes back to like an old philosophical view of reality where they believed in accidents and substance and the accidents was what things looked like and the substance was what stuff was really made of and so it, it has the accidents, the appearance of bread and, and wine, but it's really blood and flesh. And they believe they're re-sacrificing Christ at the Eucharist. And I have stuff on this in my, my video series on Catholicism. Um, so if you go to look that up, Mike Winger, um, I think it's Catholicism refuted biblically, I think is the term that I put for the playlist. Um, TKUA says, question for Mike, did God choose the Jews as a religious group or is it based on an ethnic line? Um, oh, okay. No. So it's, well, the Jews were chosen based upon an, a bloodline, an actual ethnic bloodline, but they were given truth from God that would guide them in religion. And you could convert and become a Jew, you know, religiously, but it doesn't make you ethnically a Jew. So there's, I would say he chose the group based upon upon a promise to Abraham about his descendant, which ultimately would be Jesus. Um, but that promise was to bless the whole world. 
so he chooses them because they're the same as everyone else. They're, they're no better, no worse. They're just like normal people, but he chooses them to do a work of his grace and his goodness through their lives. And, um, and then he gives them, you know, proper, true, uh, religious teachings and practices and things like that. Uh, number six, DC seven, if I, if I pronounce that correctly, I hope, uh, want to know what it means to believe like mentally and fruits come out automatically or following his laws and being fruitful while in full holiness. Okay. So uh, the English there's a little bit rough for me to understand, but I think you're saying, um, the relationship between you, the, the fruit of living out Christ in your life, following Jesus in your life versus when, um, versus belief itself. And so I'd say this is that, um, that faith is an actual choice to trust. That's what it is. It's a decision. I will trust you, God. I will trust you. Faith is not a blind leap. Faith is not a evidence, uh, evidenceless um, conviction. It's none of those things. It's a choice to trust. I choose to trust you. So the, the operative word with faith is trust or even even investment. The idea of I'm, I'm investing my life. I choose to really entrust in, in myself to this truth. And... Um, and then, of course, fruit from that is because I really believe it, you'll see me live it out. You know, if I really believe there's a hundred dollar bill under my chair, I'll reach under there and try to grab it. So, so if you're living it out. That's the idea. Um, so to believe is simple. It's super simple. And this is a beautiful thing about the gospel. Like, do you trust in Christ? Well, I don't know. Well, look, do you trust in Christ or not? I don't know. You know yeah, yeah, you do. Like, do you trust in Christ or not? It's so beautifully simple. And then the fruit of that comes as we live out our lives. Now, the beautiful thing about following Christ, you trust in Christ. He causes you to be born again, gives you of his Holy Spirit. And now you have his power living within you, that also producing fruit. So that becomes a natural evidence of his work in your life. Jacob Inglet asks, um, ask Mike if he will do a teaching on the biblical definitions of words like believe, faith, and repentance. Hey, there you go. I just kind of did. <laughs> um I'll just add repentance in the mix there. Repentance is the idea of turning from one thing to another to turn. I like the illustration of like a gazelle and it's being chased by a predator. They could jump in the air and then rotate and then shoot off in a new direction. Um, so yeah, repentance is the act of turning. Um, I don't think that repentance equals perfect sinlessness or something like that. If it does, then none of us are Christians. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I'm sure there's more I can say on that, but there's just an idea for you. And then finally, Sarah Bochamp says a question for Pastor Mike. What do you think about his comment that even atheists can be saved? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah. Um, uh, even atheists can be saved. So Vatican II compared to Bishop Barron is very different. Like as I hear Bishop Barron, it sounds like, oh, as long as you're a sincere atheist and you try to live a good life, you're probably going to be okay. Like if I just heard what Bishop Barron said, now maybe he has a lot more he's taught on the topic and... But, but if you just take the interview, that's what it sounds like. On the flip side, if I, uh, if I go to read Vatican II, it describes different kinds of atheists. The one who um, never really even thinks about God. He just never has bothered himself to ponder these things, and he's an atheist. Then there's a different kind, the one who actively resists God, and, 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 and they, they, they sort of hate God. And then it describes another kind, one who they reject God, but they... They have such a twisted idea of who God is that they're not even rejecting the real God. That's what Vatican II says. They're not really rejecting the real God because they have a twisted version of him in their head. I think all of this is being made a little too complicated by the by the Vatican Council. And I think that the um, the thing that will help us is this. God says that 
creation and conscience are revealing the truth to each man individually. And that when man rejects God, it's not like he's knowingly rejecting God at all states of their life. Instead, it's like this. Once I reject that truth of God, I become hardened, Romans 1, right? I've given over to a depraved mind. I'm allowed to fall into false thinking so that now I may sincerely believe a lie. God gave them over to a lie. I may really believe the lie that God is wicked and God is cruel and God is must the evil God of the Old Testament. I really believe those things. I'm sincere. But that sincere false belief is a result of me having rejected the truth of God and embraced a lie. So that even my sincere false beliefs are in a sense God's judgment upon me. In which case, I don't see a lot of room there for salvation <laughs> in some sense, in any sense, um, for that person who rejects, who rejects God. Um, so that would be, I think, um, I think that that would be, uh, hopefully, hopefully a good answer for that. So, so you guys, I hope this has been fruitful for you. Let me quick update on what's coming up. Um, I was not planning on doing any more videos this year. This was going to be it until January, but I might do one more, um, maybe even before Christmas. So just be looking out. I don't know when it'll be. It just depends on the schedule. I might just throw it up there. I was going to do an evaluation of the song, O Come Emmanuel, actually appropriate for this topic uh, in Ransom Captive Israel beautiful song. I thought I'd just do a Bible study on this song. It seemed exciting to me to do. And it's a really deep, thoughtful song, actually, when you get into the lyrics of it. And so might do one more uh, this year. We'll see what happens. This has been such a beautiful year for me on online and online ministry. Um, I started with 9,000 something subscribers in January. And just the other day, I, I bumped over 40,000 subs here on YouTube. And I don't know what it'll be next week or next month or next year this time. God is good. And the opportunity to reach people and minister to them the truth of Christ, thinking biblically about everything, learning how to reason in biblically in life, um, answering tough questions, interacting with the skeptical community and different religious beliefs, and reaching out, seeing people come out of cult groups and sending messages about how someone has faith in Christ as a result of this ministry. Um, it's been a really good year. And I praise God and give him all the glory. Um, and I'm so blessed to just get to do it. I'm just a guy um, and I'm humbled that I get to even be part of this and God's using it for uh, for good things. So Lord bless you guys. Have a wonderful year, uh, rest of the year, and, uh, and I'll probably see you briefly, um, you know, sometime before Christmas, if you catch the live stream. Take care.